Ocean worlds around our giant planets are there to be discovered. Europa Clipper is being built to do just that. Let's find out what it can do. Hi, I'm Jim Green, Chief Scientist at NASA, and this is Gravity Assist. On this season of Gravity Assist, we're looking for life beyond Earth. I'm here with Dr. Bob Papalardo, and he is a senior scientist at JPL in the Planetary Science Division. He's also the project scientist for the NASA Europa Clipper mission that's going to Jupiter's moon Europa, a beautiful ocean world. Welcome, Bob, to Gravity Assist. Thank you, Jim. It's so good to see you, and I'm so excited to be here. Well, how did Jupiter get so many moons, and why are they so different? Well, Jupiter has something like 79 moons. Most of them are little shards from collisions or Jupiter captures objects that are passing by. Some of them go around the wrong way. So we know that those are captured, but it's these four big ones, the Galilean moons that are the ones that are much more like worlds. Ganymede is, is, is larger than the planet Mercury. And those four were created along with Jupiter from the same cloud of gas and dust. And the inner one, Io, lost most of its uh, H2O, most of its water, does, it's not, does not have an icy surface. Uh, the outer two, Ganymede and Callisto, have lots of rock and lots of ice. And Europa is kind of in between with a bunch of rock and then a skin of H2O some of which is solid ice at the surface where it's so cold, and some of which is liquid water, we think, down below the surface, which makes Europa so fascinating that there's a liquid water ocean in there today. Europa's ocean is really special because it's pretty close to the surface, about uh, 20 kilometers, what's that, 13 miles or so uh, below the surface, and probably it's in contact with rock below. So nutrients can seep into that ocean and potentially serve as a fuel for life. So they were all made at the same time, and yet they look so different. So the tidal forces of Jupiter really, you know, when you look at each of the moons have really shaped them so much. What's happening with these moons with tidal forces? And what does that mean? Europa is going around Jupiter in a somewhat eccentric orbit. It's not quite round. And when it's closer to Jupiter, it stretches more because Jupiter's gravity is pulling on it. And when it's farther from Jupiter, it contracts a bit. And this creates friction. Europa is stretching and distorting as it orbits around Jupiter every three and a half Earth days, every 85 hours. So that's pretty quick. And it flexes by uh, about 30 meters when it does that. So that creates heat within Europa enough to melt ice and, and keep the interior warm. This is somewhat similar to Earth's tides. Earth's oceans have tides because as uh, Earth rotates and the moon orbits, the, the moon is pulling on the Earth and the Earth is pulling on the moon. If you're standing on the right part of Europa, you'd be rising and sinking about 30 meters uh, every three and a half Earth days. And the, the stresses would be rotating around you. The 
direction at which uh, the stress is pulling would change. And this creates just bizarre, fascinating geology. Well, you know, that's got to be cracking the ice like crazy. Is, it, is some of the cracks caused by that? Or are there other things that cause those stresses on Europa? Yeah, we think some of the cracks are related to these tidal forces. There might be longer term stresses which create other cracks as well. If you were on Europa and put your space helmet down against the ice, it would probably be creaking like a boat. Well, you know, in our ocean at these hydrothermal vents, we see life all over the place and it doesn't require light from the sun. Is that a similar process that may be going on in Europa or do we need sunlight to have life? Beneath Europa's icy shell, light is not going to penetrate. So it's not life that's dependent on photosynthesis that we're talking about. Instead, life that's dependent on chemical reactions, similar to some life on Earth that isn't dependent on sunlight, but where the metabolism is powered by chemical reactions, chemical disequilibrium. That's the kind of life that we're wondering might exist in Europa's ocean. We're not talking about fish and whales, that would be exciting, giant squid or something, but instead probably just, just single cell organisms down there. And that's because complex life needs a lot of energy. And at Europa, we think probably if there is the energy for life in the ocean, it's probably you know at a low level. So maybe enough to power just single celled organisms, but that would be so exciting. Because if there's life at Europa's ocean, it would almost certainly be an independent origin of life. You can't transfer life from Earth way out to Europa, maybe between Earth and Mars, but not out to Europa. That would be pretty tough to do. Well, over the last several years, another set of fantastic research has been done concerning the possibility of seeing geysers coming uh, out from, the, from cracks when we look at Europa, we see these crack structures everywhere, it seems, and yet maybe some of them are active. So what do you think about the possibility that life gets scooped up and ends up in these plumes? Yeah, there's tantalizing evidence of these plumes from the Hubble Space Telescope and other observations that, that says maybe Every once in a while, Europa lets out a big burp of activity. When we're there with the Europa Clipper, we might be able to fly through such plumes. If they're there, we need to confirm them. There might be a range of sizes. We don't know, are they consistently active or sporadic? So we need to find that out. We have some time before the spacecraft arrives and then when it arrives uh, to identify, are there plumes coming out? What sets them off? And, and can we fly through them to, um, to directly sample the interior of Europa. Well, you're the project scientist of a fabulous mission, Europa Clipper, and, and you guys at JPL are building that right now. How big is the spacecraft? What does it look like? The Europa Clipper spacecraft is solar powered and the solar panels would stretch from one end to the other of a standard US basketball court. Some have said it looks a little like a scorpion. It has. It has these big solar arrays and it has a magnetometer sticking out of it like a stinger. And it has um, uh, 
the big radar antennas hanging off of the solar arrays. It's very distinctive and cool-looking spacecraft. And of course, it's got this big, huge dish that is used to radio back to Earth all the fantastic data it acquires. Exactly. What are some of the other measurements Europa Clipper is designed to make? So, uh, cameras. We've got a camera suite, two cameras to map out the surface um, completely and in stereo, so 3D and in color. And we can get with the narrow angle camera images as good as a half a meter per pixel. So those, those pictures would see my desk if it were wow. on wow. your <laughs> Love it, love it. And um, <laughs> we've got an infrared spectrometer to look at the chemical fingerprints of the surface material and try to understand what it is. What does that say about the ocean? Are there organic materials? We have an ultraviolet spectrometer. That's great for finding plumes and characterizing them and for seeing uh, uh, what the surface composition is too. Uh, we have a thermal instrument to look for hot spots, places that are warm enough that we can see them essentially glowing in the dark. There's an ice penetrating radar, sends out uh, long wavelength radar signals that can penetrate right through cold ice bounce off liquid water and back to the spacecraft. Wow. So we'll be able to map out the plumbing beneath Europa's surface. Then we go to the, uh, the particles, fields and particles instruments. We have a magnetometer that can tell us not just that there is an ocean like Galileo data hinted, but how thick it is and how salty it is, how conductive that ocean is. And the magnetometer needs the plasma instrument. The plasma instrument tells us about the charge particle environment. And that's needed to better understand the magnetometer data. And tells us about the plasma environment, which is exciting in itself and what particles are there. And then we have two different mass spectrometers, one to get at the dust particles and one to get at the gas particles to tell us their composition, to hunt for organics and let us know about the chemistry. Oh, and last but not least, we use the, the communication system to look for the Doppler shift of the spacecraft signal as it flies by Europa uh, to get out the gravity around Europa. And by flying by Europa lots and lots of times, when Europa's in different places in its orbit, we can actually sense how Europa is flexing. And that'll tell us about the properties of that ice shell and the ocean beneath. So it, it, it's gonna be an incredible mission will actually be orbiting Jupiter and making flybys of Europa. We're in an orbit that brings us by Europa about every four weeks. And we're also looking into the option of maybe flying by every six weeks too. So we'll see where we land with that. So every several weeks, we're going to have new data just pouring in. Yeah, what I really like about that whole concept of orbiting Jupiter and then getting in the belts, flying by Europa, and then radioing the, the, the data back is you have time to analyze it. You have time to really pour through it, figure out what's happening, and fine-tune those measurements that you want to make. So with all that it does, is there a possibility that it may be able to find life? The Europa Clipper mission isn't designed to search for life itself. What we're trying to understand is habitability. 
is Europa a potentially habitable environment? Does it have the ingredients for life? Water, right chemical elements, and, and the chemical disequilibrium that could power life. So we may have to wait till our next mission where we get down to the surface and go into one of these cracks. Exactly, by sending a lander down to Europa's surface, someday we could scoop up some of that dark reddish stuff and examine whether there are organic materials in there or perhaps some signs of life in there. So the Europa Clipper mission will also scout out places where we might want to send a future lander. So Bob, when will Europa Clipper be on its way? We're scheduled to launch sometime in the mid 2020s. And then depending on the launch vehicle we take, uh, it'll take a few years or up to maybe six years to get out to Jupiter. And we might go on a direct path or we might need a gravity assist. In this case, we're looking at the possibility of a gravity assist by Mars, and then to swing back in past Earth and out to Jupiter and Europa. Well, you know, Bob, I always like to ask my guests, tell me what happened in their life. What was the event, the person, place, or thing that got them so excited about becoming the scientists they are today? I call that event a gravity assist. So Bob, what was your gravity assist? You know, Jim, I was so lucky to have been able to work, even though just for a little while, with Carl Sagan and to audit a couple of his courses and to do a project under the tutelage of his postdoc, late Reed Thompson. And, um, you know, I first saw Carl when he did the broadcast on TV of the Viking landings back in 1976 on PBS Live, waiting for that first picture of the foot of the lander. And then he would appear on the Johnny Carson show and communicate science uh, on that late night talk show. And, and then of course, in 1980, uh, the original Cosmos series. And the reason I investigated Cornell as a possible school to go to as an undergraduate was, well, I knew Carl Sagan was there. They must have some good stuff. And I went there thinking I was gonna do astronomy, um, but then I moved to, to the geology side of things. And then I found out, wait, there's something called planetary geology. I could do both. And uh, I really learned about that because there was uh, in the course catalog, ices and oceans in the outer solar system, taught by Carl Sagan, where I first learned about Europa and uh, about Titan and Triton and um, kind of still doing the same thing today. So Carl was great. Even when I went back to visit Cornell after I finished up and moved to grad school at Arizona State University. And I remember running into him in the hallway and he's like, Bob, come on in the office, tell me how it's going. And, and it, was, it was just so nice that he remembered my name, that he cared enough to take a few minutes to help a new grad student along and, and, and push them along in their careers. It was, it was quite inspiring. Well, I, I never had the privilege to, to meet Carl, but uh, I, all the stories I hear about Carl was just such a fantastic scientist, but also, as you say, really cared for his students, really cared for what they were doing. So Bob, thanks so much for joining me and discussing this fantastic topic. 
You betcha. What, what a blast. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. And um, we're all looking forward to uh, Europa getting there and all this great data that's going to pour in. Absolutely. All right. Europa Clipper, onward. Join me next time as we continue our journey to look for life beyond Earth. I'm Jim Green, and this is your Gravity Assist. <laughs>